Today's guest represents the developers, manufacturers, formulators, and distributors of plant science solutions for agriculture and the pest management in the United States. Come with me as we learn more. Participate, engage, speak out, use your voice to be an effective advocate. The Voices in Advocacy podcast examines the diverse landscape of advocacy, exploring the ins and outs of building influence, driving change, and creating champion advocates. It's now time for the Voices in Advocacy podcast with your host, Roger Rickard. Welcome to the Voices in Advocacy podcast, and I hope you are enjoying season four. I'm Roger Rickard, president and founder of Voices in Advocacy, where we work with organizations to inspire, educate, engage, and activate your supporters by turning them into effective, influential advocates. And this is the podcast dedicated to the art of advocacy. This podcast is for the people that work and engage in advocacy efforts for their organizations, be they corporations, associations, trade organizations, and nonprofit cause group. Now, let's get started. On today's show, we speak with Chris Novak, President and Chief Executive Officer of Crop Life America, known as CLA. CLA represents the developers, manufacturers, formulators, and distributors of plant science solutions for agriculture and pest management in the United States. Their member companies produce, sell, and distribute virtually all of the vital and necessary crop protection and biotechnology products used by American farmers. Prior to joining CLA, Chris was the the Chief Executive Officer of the National Corn Growers Association. And even prior to that, he started his career on Capitol Hill. Chris holds a bachelor's degree, a law degree, and a master's in business administration. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome Chris to today's show. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Roger. Great to be here. Great to, great to catch up with you again. Now, as we get into this, Crop Life America, or CLA, member companies produce and sell those the crop protection and the biotechnology products. For the layman, what does that really mean to them? It is, it is pesticides that farmers need to protect their crops. Uh, we also, though, have a subsidiary called RISE, uh, which is Responsible uh, Industry for Sound Environment that works with specialty pesticide manufacturers. So we also will work with uh, consumer household products. We work with uh, golf course golf courses that utilize pesticide products and others. But CLA's core focus is on serving, serving farm customers. Well, and that's how you and I met because I, I keynoted at a RISE conference. That's right. Uh, uh, on advocacy. It was down in uh, Tucson a few years back. So CLA has been around since 1993, or no, wait, 1933. That's right. 33. Uh, In a nutshell, and how has it evolved over the years? Because the technology, I'm sure, has changed dramatically uh, over that period of time. So how has the organization evolved? Well, the organization started back in the 1930s with the idea that farmers and those manufacturing products uh, for farmers, agricultural fungicides and insecticides at the time, and that was the original name of the association, uh, it was about ensuring the efficacy of those products so that farmers weren't being sold 
uh, snake oil uh, in such a way that uh, they were, were getting uh, built uh, for products that wouldn't actually do what was being claimed. Over the years, however, as we saw the development of a stronger federal pesticide regulatory system, Crop Life's mission changed uh, to actively working with uh, the U.S. government, and specifically, you know, once once we got to the 1970s and the creation of the Environmental Protection Agency, we began to work with EPA to ensure that there were sound, effective, and science-based regulations in place. Yeah. Uh, so you have, in, in kind of doing a little bit of my research here, uh, you have four strategic pillars kind of within the organization. And it, it, uh, industry perception, environmental sustainability, regulatory integrity, and organizational excellence. Now, how does your advocacy efforts kind of fit into those pillars? You've you've read our strategic plan. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> You're more than welcome. Uh, yes, and and uh, as I joined, I joined Crop Life America in 2018, and and I am a strong believer in ensuring as an organization uh, that we have a a strategic plan that allows us to create consensus about what's important to our members, but also allows uh, me to bring our staff uh, team together and focus our efforts, our budget investments around programs that we know can make a difference for our industry. We look first at regulatory integrity. It is that work that we're doing with not only today EPA, but also we work closely with the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the Department of Interior and the Fish and Wildlife Service in particular, and then the Department of Commerce, uh, which has a role in, in overseeing the Endangered Species Act. So we're working, we're working with all of those agencies, first and foremost. We also, though, work with Congress uh, to ensure that those agencies have the funding they need. That's one of our current legislative uh, priorities right now is seeking additional appropriations for EPA, uh, as well as additional appropriations to support the Endangered Species Act. That is the regulatory integrity component of our strategic plan. How do we make the regulatory system work better? And, and certainly, uh, you know, I can talk about the Endangered Species Act and, and our desire to see that uh, law work well. Uh, we know as an industry, we've got an obligation to protect threatened and endangered species. But I also will acknowledge that a part of this is how long does it take us uh, once we have my member companies, once we have once they have submitted a uh, application to EPA for a new pesticide, how long does it take to get through the regulatory process? We also uh, are looking at the court system, and I have a, a legal team that is monitoring uh, all of the lawsuits that are filed, not specifically against our members, but more often filed against EPA uh, and or other agencies relative to the regulation of pesticides. And so that's that too is a part of our regulatory integrity work. And then those other, oh, go ahead. Well, no, I was gonna, I was gonna try to drill down just a second on the on regulatory integrity because I think if I read this correctly, uh, with some of your desires within EPA uh, or the Endangered Species Act, maybe even more specifically, that you are uh, attempting to get more funding for the organization so that they can. Uh, have more staff available to cut the time period down 
for approval of that. Is that correct? That is correct. Under, under the law today, uh, a law called PREA, Pesticide Registration Improvement Act, EPA is supposed to review uh, our products within a two-year two-year time frame and issue a decision. Today, that, that decision may be taking anywhere from three to four years. And so that has a direct impact on our member companies in terms of how quickly they can deliver new products to farmers, farmers, or to consumers. So that is part of our, our legislative push. We want the system to work better. Um, and that's one of the, the objectives within our strategic plan. But we also know we've had products uh, that the EPA has approved. And 60 days later, we have seen a lawsuit uh, from uh, the activist community challenging uh, the EPA's decision to approve that pesticide, which leaves our companies with a level of uncertainty. So we want to try to address the legal certainty, uh, which is part of our, our legal effort as well as part of our regulatory effort. Uh, we also realize that uh, global standards on food and the residue levels that are allowed, whether it's here in the United States, in Europe, in Brazil, in Japan, other, other countries that are important trading partners, all of those have an impact on our ability to develop and distribute new pesticides. And so that's another part of, of the regulatory integrity goal within our strategic plan. Yeah, it, it, it sounds like you're bobbing and weaving between all the different entities within the federal government to try to see if they know each other and if they can shake hands and look at each other in the eye and, and maybe try to coordinate some, some work efforts there. That's got to be challenging, huh? It, it, it is. And yet, uh, relative to the Endangered Species Act, one, one perfect example is we hosted a stakeholder workshop. We partnered uh, with uh, an, an NGO, Defenders of Wildlife, to bring together other environmental organizations, other agricultural organizations, our member companies, as well as EPA and the Fish and Wildlife Service. And that idea of let's sit down at the same table, let's share ideas and information. And certainly, you know, between us and the environmental community, there, there are lots of things that we won't agree on. Uh, but if we can find those one or two pieces where we do agree, where we all recognize that investing in a strong regulatory system uh, ensures safer products, uh, but also for us ensures products that are delivered to market in a more timely fashion. Those are the win-wins that we've tried to concentrate on with our outreach uh, to other stakeholders in this process, whether it's government or, or NGOs. Well, and it's all part of that educational process. It's, uh, sometimes people don't know what they don't know, Right. Uh, as simply as that is, and they end up assuming something. And if you have them at the table, that a lot of those assumptions can be set aside. Well, and, and I may segue for just a little bit, but it certainly relates to uh, sure. the advocacy efforts. And, and uh, as, as I joined Crop Life in 2019, we actually began doing consumer, consumer research. Uh, we went out and did focus groups across the country, uh, starting in, in Maryland, uh, Minneapolis, uh, in uh, San Jose, California. We've gone back and done a second round of research uh, this last year, uh, again, uh, multiple cities across the country. Our purpose was to identify first, what is it that consumers know about pesticides? Uh, but also to visit with them about different things that we are doing in the industry to see uh, what, what are the points that they care about and, and what are the 
aha moments for a consumer uh, that help them understand that there is a regulatory system that is designed to protect their health and safety. From, from that research, most consumers think that it takes about six months uh, to you know, develop and deliver a new pesticide or that you know, the, the regulatory process is only gonna be about six months. Uh, so as we tell them that we spend eight to nine years developing a product and doing environmental testing and, and safety research, and then the EPA is taking anywhere from two to four years to review that product, that's an aha moment for those consumers because they don't understand uh, the, the stringency of the regulatory process. For us then to take those same messages that we know work with consumers and bring those messages back to decision makers on Capitol Hill, we have found that to be a very powerful tool in helping to educate those folks who may not necessarily spend their life uh, or even a lot of time uh, looking at pesticides and or the pesticide regulatory process. Well, it's interesting because you you took me right where I was going to go because I knew that you were doing this, the consumer research and, and, and the kind of the surveys and the studies and everything else. And now you're developing that message. Uh, and in the development of that message, if it's working for the consumer, does it also now work well with those other key stakeholder groups? I mean, do they get it or do they want more meat? Well, uh, the answer, the answer uh, more to come or to be determined, I think is, is probably the correct answer. And, and the reason that I say that is uh, we now have done two sets of research with influencers. Uh, the first was a little more targeted towards state legislators and influencers and leaders. Uh, this second round of, of polling research was targeted towards Capitol, Capitol Hill and influencers here in the DC area. We asked them if they, you know, what they knew and understood about the benefits of agricultural pesticides, how they viewed the benefits of pesticides versus the risks. Um, and we're using that polling and that research as a baseline to say, can we, can we change the minds of these folks? Can we help them understand more about the pesticide regulatory process? So we, we've done this research to understand you know, where folks are at today from an awareness standpoint, we will continue to take these messages and deliver them in meaningful ways with, with lots of examples uh, that help put a, a practical context, context around the, the, the messages uh, and then see if we actually can move the needle in terms of awareness and understanding. So you asked the question and I'm gonna ask you, can you change their mind? It's my job, uh, and and, and, and I'm I, sure you I'm sure you will do very well at it. I wouldn't I wouldn't be here if I didn't think that we could. And and to your point, uh, pesticides are are complex. They're technical. They're scary. Uh, there is a lot of information on on the internet, and folks can can Google and. Uh, you know, come up with lots and lots of reasons why they see pesticides as, as uh, bad for the environment. And at the same time, from my standpoint, um, we are protecting the health and safety of a farmer's crop. 
that is not only their livelihood, but also you know, what we need to be able to feed people in this country and around the world. We know that, that crops, even treated with pesticides, we still can lose 20 to 25% of a crop because of weed and insect pressure. Uh, but that number jumps to almost 85% of the crop if we're not using pesticides. And, and you know, we can see very dramatic examples of that in Africa where they're not using pesticides today and yet their biggest challenge is ensuring food security because, because of the, the impact that weeds and insects have uh, on the productivity of their cropping systems. We yeah, and I, I would say that that must, based on what you just said there, create better yield and a more consistent level of what you're actually gonna be able to take to market at the end. That's right. And, and, and so if, if we can help people understand that there is a public health benefit to using pesticides, we control mosquitoes, we control ticks and other, other vectors of you know, significant and serious public, public diseases. We, we help protect and reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions, uh, pesticides. Farmers are tilling their soil less today. And when they don't till the soil, we, we emit fewer greenhouse gases. Uh, we are encouraging the adoption of, of cover crops and conservation tillage uh, that, that can be enabled through the use of pesticides. So that has helped reduce runoff and erosion and has helped reduce uh, you know, the impact uh, that agriculture may have on our waterways. These are all the benefits of pesticides that oftentimes are overlooked if you're simply going to do a Google search uh, on the pesticide issue. So solid, solid messaging delivered to, to decision makers we think can have an impact. So within that messaging, it's your ability to craft that message in a way that creates the story. It is. But you, I mean, you just laid out numerous different story points as to the value of what you do. Uh, why is that so important rather than just, boom, the facts, the facts, the facts, the statistics along the way? Yeah, I, I, I come from, uh, I, I can't say that I come from outside the industry. I've worked in agriculture my entire life um, to the extent that I am new, uh, even after three and a half years to the pesticide industry. I've grown up around agricultural chemicals and pesticides, uh, and certainly I've worked for farm organizations that, that have a very deep interest in these issues. Storytelling has to be one of your major focuses of your advocacy to, to be able to reach the broad spectrum of your stakeholders. Is that fair to say? That is absolutely fair to say. And, and in agriculture, we love facts, we love data. And yet when you look at how people will talk about pesticides and other issues in agriculture, for many people, it's very emotional. It is very personal. And I certainly can acknowledge, for me, it's personal as well. Uh, growing up on a small farm, knowing how my dad farmed 50 years ago, the moldboard plow, the disc, the spring tooth, the harrow, all of the tillage passes uh, that we did on the farm, and yet also the, the witnessing of our ditches in the wintertime that were black with soil that had blown off of our fields. And today, the, the tenant who farms our land is, is using no-till or minimum till practices. And so we've got res crop residue. That's a story. That's an example of a story of how pesticides have helped change agriculture. 
And I will say that we have concentrated more on the facts and the science, uh, and we are working to try to put it in context and to be able to tell a story that is relatable to the people who uh, we are we are working with. Well, and you and I both know from your days on Capitol Hill and, and my experience along the way that the ability to tell the story that's personal to members of Congress and any elected official that really cares about their constituents is the thing that gets to them. That gives them that talking point back when people push back on them. That's right. And, and so we haven't necessarily jumped to the, the next uh, level of this conversation, but uh, developing the messages and then, and then identifying who are the folks that can help us tell the story uh, the best. And so right. we, we work with growers who are customers of our member companies uh, and who can talk about their, their use of pesticides on the farm, what they're doing to try to use exactly what they need, uh, how they are utilizing precision agriculture techniques and geographic information systems uh, to deliver pesticides where they can have the most impact and to ensure those pesticides stay on the field. That's, you know, those are important storytelling partners for us. Our company scientists who do the research to develop the products are important messengers uh, and storytellers for us. So we are looking for ways to harness all of these folks uh, and help us uh, in our advocacy efforts. Your members are companies, correct? Correct. Yeah. And earlier you mentioned something that I think I heard correctly, and I want to, I want to, you mentioned something, and I'm not sure how to pronounce it. F-I-F-R-A. Ah, is it? Did is I say, did I, I used, I, did I use the evil acronym? I did, didn't I? Um, well, you may have. I may have. But, but, uh, but that, that's fine. Explain to people what that is. And really, first of all, and how long it's been in place, because it's been in place for a long time. It has been in place for a long time. The Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide Act. Woo! Um, and crafted, I think, in the late 50s. I actually would have to go back and double check, but it, it is a law that has been around for that long. At the same time, it has been regularly amended and changed by Congress and regularly right. reviewed by Congress. And so while it is an old law uh, from when it was first created, it certainly has been maintained and updated to reflect and ensure that EPA is using the best science and the latest science to evaluate the safety and efficacy of, of new pesticide products. And, and to do that in a, a more speedy fashion, correct? I hope so. And, and, <laughs> and, and PREA, the Pesticide Registration Improvement Act, is, is an amendment of FIFRA um, and, and was designed to ensure that we as an industry were contributing dollars to help support the staffing that EPA needs to review our pesticide products. So let's take a turn a little bit here. Do you run any advocacy uh, or grassroots advocacy programs for the employees of your member companies? We do. And, and again, in, in 2019, after I arrived, we, CLA, launched a new grassroots program 
uh, and began recruiting not just from our member companies, but also also from uh, agricultural stakeholders and and agricultural organizations and others. Uh, it still is is a growing effort, uh, and yet realizing that that grassroots voice is so critical to reaching members of Congress and ensuring that there is one of their constituents who is reaching out and communicating to them on these issues. And that's the connective tissue between doing your consumer research, developing your messaging, turning that into the storytelling, and allowing the soldiers, if you will, the grassroots advocates to be able to deliver that message uh, for you. Uh, How do you train them? to become effective and more influential? Those, those are programs that, that in some ways I will say we are still building out. Uh, but uh, even uh, about a month and a half ago, uh, we hosted a number of not only our company employees, but also uh, state organizations, uh, state agribusiness organizations, state commodity organizations. We had a, a, an incredible group of people that spent three days in Chicago looking at the messaging that we had, had developed. But more specifically, not just not just looking at that messaging, actually practicing, rehearsing, engaging one another uh, in how do you tell the story, and and to the extent that you know we're asking them as well then to engage their political leaders when they have an opportunity, whether that's through an email or a phone call or through a letter, we're encouraging folks to learn and understand these messages and then to take these messages and incorporate those into their personal story as they're reaching out to decision makers. Yeah, and and to be able to develop those relationships uh, in advance of really any major need, uh, if you will, per se. I know this is going to really sound almost ridiculous when I ask you this question, but I'm going to ask it anyhow. Why is political influence and advocacy so important? For us, as an industry that is heavily regulated, that need to help people understand, um, first, why pesticides are important, why we need a regulatory system that works, and, and we certainly see lots of people who may not necessarily under have a good understanding of pesticides, may not necessarily be as willing to look at the benefits, and they, they are pushing and promoting political solutions uh, that would undermine the ability to develop and, and, and distribute new pesticide products. Our industry has continued to evolve, and you know, we do still have products on the market that may have originally been invented you know, 50 years ago. Uh, but we also have new products on the market that have been developed in a manner to be safer, more effective. And so we need to ensure that the regulatory system continues to allow those new products to come forward. And that's that's where we have to be able to tell the story to ensure that Congress doesn't make political choices uh, that, that regulate or restrict pesticides, but also that we are ensuring that the regulatory system itself is still focused on sound scientific principles. And then as we've discussed, also has the funding that's necessary uh, to have the scientists in place uh, to be able to complete these reviews. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you just think of the simple word advocacy? 
I, I will go back to being a brand new college graduate, uh, you know, going to work on Capitol Hill for U.S. Senator Charles Grassley and first having constituents from Iowa walk into the senator's office and I would be sitting down with them, sometimes by myself, sometimes with the senator, and they would be telling their story about the types of changes that they needed to see in our federal laws and regulations. I would be at my desk at you know six, seven, eight o'clock at night, uh, reading through emails and letters that came into the senator's office on those very issues. And those were important to me. If you think about a 22-year-old kid uh, or 23-year-old kid who's just graduated from college, um, the learning that you have to get up to speed on these issues and the, the letters and phone calls and the opportunity to have conversations with constituents was an important part of helping develop my understanding of those issues so that I could help advise the senator. I, I wish, and I truly mean this, uh, I wish people understood the role that staff play in, in uh, particularly at the congressional level and having these minute meetings every 15 minutes all day long uh, with people and their knowledge, their intelligence, and just how much is out there, right. how much information needs to be consumed uh, for them to be able to make wise and sound decisions. Uh, so thanks for putting the Capitol Hill experience cap on. Uh, I'm going to ask you one more thing here. Do you, do you think that DC fly-ins will ever return to normal operations? I, I, I hope so. And I think, I think that they have to. Um, and, and in part, uh, there is the conversation that takes place in the meeting and, and, Yes, you can replace that face-to-face -face meeting with a senator or a staff person uh, through a, a Zoom call or a Teams, Microsoft Teams call. But what you don't replace is the evening reception where the folks from that fly-in then uh, have an opportunity uh, over, over a refreshment uh, or, or food. Having worked in the pork industry, uh, you know, that, that uh, pork chop on a steak on a stick was a, an excellent way to, to get folks to turn out. It's those conversations uh, that are such an essential part of building a relationship uh, on Capitol Hill uh, with young staff. Um, having some extra time with the, with a member of Congress who may come to that reception and you get an extra five minutes uh, to add some additional points uh, of color to that conversation. So yes, I know that it's easy, convenient, and efficient uh, to do you know, Capitol Hill outreach through through a video call. Uh, but but at the end of the day, this is still about personal relationships. It's still about building trust. Uh, it's not just about the communication of information, but but uh, actually beginning to create a relationship with somebody. You just can't replace face-to-face -face engagement. There's yeah. just too many touch points. Uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Two quick uh, questions to end this off with. Where do you go at this stage of your career for any kind of additional education? I have been blessed uh, over the last seven years to uh, be a, a co-chair for a group of peers 
Uh, we we call it the Agricultural CEO Council, and and it's 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 not inclusive of everyone. Uh, we've wanted to keep the membership uh, somewhat small, uh, but whether it is uh, as we came through COVID and had conversations in terms of what were our respective office policies. How are we managing return to work and vaccination? Uh, but we also were working to ensure that agriculture workers were essential uh, and had access to uh, vaccinations uh, early in the process. We've worked together uh, most recently with USDA on food security issues and concerns. That, that network uh, is so vital to me in terms of learning, understanding, seeing how my peers are addressing and managing issues from organizational management to uh, relationships on Capitol Hill. What a great brain trust. And then uh, what, what do you think is the best professional tip you've ever received over your career? <laughs> that was easy. Um, how do you eat an elephant? Uh, one, exactly. One bite, one at, bite a, at a time. One bite at a time. Um, you know, we have, uh, through my career, I've had so many large challenges that confront you. And to the extent that those challenges can seem overwhelming. But at the same time, if you sit down with the, uh, uh, the right group of people and take some time to reflect and think, you can actually take those large challenges and break them into parts. And that allows you to begin attacking a problem in a very systematic fashion. And so, uh, you know, we're always going to be confronted by numerous challenges. There's always going to be more challenges coming at us than what we can, can handle at any one given time. Uh, but to know that you can Break, break those challenges into subparts and begin to attack those one at a time. And again, the benefit of a strategic plan, it keeps you focused and moving forward over the long term, even when there may be you know, disruptions or distractions that, that hit you along the way. Chris, how can people learn more about CropLife America? CropLifeAmerica.org uh, is our is our website, and as a part of our advocacy effort, we've put more of our position papers online. Uh, our membership is listed online. Uh, we are uh, posting the regulatory comments that we submit. So, trying to create far more transparency for our members, uh, but also for the stakeholders who may be interested in pesticide issues. Chris, you're a great spokesperson for your organization. You do wonderful work. You work hard at it. I want to thank you very much for being on the show today. That's that's a wrap of our wonderful conversation that we've had here with Chris Novak, CEO of Crop Life America. Thanks, Chris, for being on the show and being so insightful today. My pleasure. Great to see you, Roger. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you and all the best. Let's face it. Today's advocacy arena is just plain noisy. Organizations are stretched. You need every advantage to make sure your issue gets the attention it deserves and your voice heard. The RAP Index is the best way to do just that by finding your stakeholders' relationships and engagement power. Get past the noise. Know who your people know. Go to rapindex.com. That's R-A-P-Index.com and tell them Roger sent you for a special offer. If you like today's podcast, head over to where you find your podcasts and subscribe to the Voices in Advocacy podcast. 
a big thank you to today's guest. I appreciate your time and the unwavering passion for advocacy you have. Well, that's it for this episode of Voices in Advocacy. Remember, you have the power to be an effective, influential advocate. Now go out and make it a better world. We hope you enjoyed today's Voices in Advocacy podcast and look forward to you joining us again next week. To learn more about Voices in Advocacy, go to our website, voicesinadvocacy.com.